Uh, Heavenly Father, we do uh, pray in thy good grace that would uh, uh, enliven our minds and illumine our minds to the majesty of the text, and the majesty of the great work of our Redeemer. Help us uh, to grow in grace uh, and the knowledge of our great God. And for his glory, we ask these things. Amen. Uh, one of the things we learned last time on the nature of the atonement uh, or a couple weeks ago, is there's actual accomplishment. Uh, uh, Christ doesn't die for the possibility to save. Uh, he dies to affect uh, salvation. If you think, for example, the great text, John 6, everyone that the Father gives me comes to me, and I'll raise him up on the last day. Okay, Is there, is there a possibility somewhere in there? No, he says, I will raise him up on the last day. So he comes to effect. Uh, uh, in, in the mind of a lot of Christians, uh, Christ really doesn't do anything other than uh, affect the possibility of salvation. He makes us redeemable. Uh, well, uh, as you know, there's the text, the Bible doesn't speak to that. He comes to buy, to purchase, to satisfy the wrath of God. And then we know subsequently he dispatches the Spirit to make application. So uh, uh, those things are a mouthful, I, I understand. Uh, I grew up in, in churches that were contrary to that uh, because um, uh, that's just what I was taught. Uh, God can't do anything until I let him do something. So I have to let him. It's not the way uh, God works. Um, um, so you just have to kind of work through that grid and the only way to work through it is just look at the text now, are there texts that says Christ makes us redeemable that he creates the possibility and yet turns it over to us now there's no doubt we get involved no one's doubting that uh, we have to believe on him and have faith in him uh, but we'll look at texts that, that are strongly suggestive if not conclusive of the fact that our belief and new birth are caused by him. So it's a remarkable aspect of our faith. Yes, it's my faith, uh, but it's related to the new birth. And I didn't birth myself. Okay? That's a supernatural event. Has to be, doesn't it? Uh, John John 3. Um, uh, in, in natural birth, the child... Uh, doesn't birth himself. His parents set it in motion, and uh, the biology of the woman uh, brings forth uh, the birth. Uh, so, uh, in in our theology, Father, Son, and Spirit affect our salvation, and and they don't leave anything to chance. Okay, uh, um, Christ didn't die on the cross for the chance the possibility that no one would ever believe in him. Okay. Uh, so, uh, and, and again, reread John chapter 6 and John chapter uh, 10. Uh, no man can come to the Father except the Father who sent me draw him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Okay. So, the beauty of scriptures. Um, Now, there, there, there are always, in terms of our theology, there's always objections. 
there's always problem texts. Because the Bible is not a systematic theology. Um, uh, that's the job of the church. So we have to struggle and work through these issues. So if you, if you look at number six, um, one of the objections is, is that it's inconsistent with the free will offer of the gospel. Uh, I am on number D, the extent of the atonement, uh, number six. Okay? Number six. Okay? Um, inconsistent with the free will offer of the gospel. So Murray says, rather the free will off the gospel is affirmed by particular redemption. Uh, Christ does not offer the possibility or opportunity. He could not be offered as Savior had he merely made provision. Uh, the offer of a possibility in Murray's mind degrades the gospel. And, and I, I, I personally believe that that's true. Uh, let's, let's quote him. It's the very doctrine that Christ procured and secured redemption that invests the free offer of the gospel with richness and power. Okay. In other words, when, when we share the gospel, and again, I've reminded you perpetually, I don't know who the elect are. I don't know who the Father's going to draw to the Son. He doesn't tell me that. He tells me to go offer the gospel to the whole world. Uh, that's 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 the job of the church. He saves, but we offer the gospel. So there's no contradiction there. But uh, but in a sense, uh, what Murray is saying, when we offer the gospel, we don't say things like, "Well, you know, uh, um, uh, Christ maybe did something for you." He he maybe did something for the sins of sinners. I mean, that language is not in the scriptures. There's no maybe. There's no chance. Um, he he affected uh, and sets everything in motion. Um, um, I think there's an illustration of this in the prayers of the saints. Uh, I, I I have never heard an Arminian prayer. You know, for example, let me construct for you an Arminian prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, my son and daughter are lost. Um, uh, they need to help you in saving themselves. Uh, um, help them to see that they need to help you in saving themselves. No, they, they, no one prays that way. We pray, Lord, save. Save my sons and daughters. Save my neighbor. Save my parents. So we ask God uh, to work in divine power. Uh, we don't say things like, uh, help my dear mother to cooperate with you. Have you ever heard someone pray like that? No, we don't pray like that because that's a, that's a frustrating uh, prayer almost of lostness. We say, Lord, my dear daughter is lost. Save her, because only he can. That's why when I tell you, uh, I mean, I don't know who the elect are. I don't know who Christ died for. So I never say Christ died for you. 
I say Christ died for the sins of sinners. And you're a sinner. And you need, you need a Savior because apart from Him, you're lost forever. So there's a definiteness to the work of Christ and there's a definiteness to our appeal to people. And that's essentially what Murray is saying. Um, um, that's the power of the gospel. Um, so problem text. I mean, let's look at a couple of these. Um, yeah, Romans eight thirty one to thirty nine. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time here, but perhaps I should. It's always problems text. Um, let's just look at thirty one and thirty two. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How will he not also freely give us all things? Okay. Does that apply to everybody? No. Look at Romans uh, 8.28. Well, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. In other words... It's done for those who are called according to his purpose. That defines the all, okay? Uh, uh, that's the point of the all in verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? Uh, the unregenerate man or woman can't say that because everyone's against him. The Christian can say that because we've been called according to God's purpose. Um, Look at verse 33. Uh, who will bring charge against God's elect? God is the one who justified. So predestination and justification are, are coextensive. Those whom God predestines, He's going to justify. He's going to sanctify. Um, the guarantee is in verses 35 to 39. What can separate us? Love of Christ. Can can uh, can anything separate us? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword? Okay, no, nothing can separate us. Uh, everything separates the lost because everything is working for their destruction. So uh, that's the peril they're in. Uh, our lesson is to remind people of that peril, but uh, we can be bold in it. Because we know we can't save them. As you know, I don't, I can't convince someone. All I can really do is tell them the gospel. Share with them that Christ is God's provision for the sins of sinners. And you're a sinner. And you should turn to that provision because outside of him, there is no other provision. Sure. Stoicism? Well, define for me what you mean by... Okay. Being utterly passive, maybe. Okay. Yeah, uh, I mean, part, part of that, I think, is embraced with the fact that God predestines the end of all things. 
but he also predestines the means. So we're to act, we're to pray, we're to do the things he tells us to do, go to church, worship him. So uh, in, in all of Calvinism, we're not denying that men and women have a part. They certainly do because God uses means. He uses the church. Uh, he doesn't say, look, I predestined everybody, so you're wasting your time and money collecting uh, and sending money to Uganda uh, and the Congo because I'm going to save them. No, he, 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 he tells the church to do that because he uses the church. He uses prayer. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. He, you know, uh, one of the dangers of, of, uh, or one of the battles that the church fights is called hyper Calvinism. Well, God predestined, so I don't have to do anything. Uh, I'll just stay at home on Sunday mornings and sleep, and if God wants to get me up, He'll get me up. Yeah, it is. It is kind of a hyper-Calvinism. Yeah, you can't uh, just remember end and means go together. I'm sorry. He purposes and wills to use means. Um, You know, trees don't tell us the gospel. People do. Um, and it's a, I mean, that's a deadly sin. I've met people like that. They're kind of rare today, but they were sometimes more prominent back in, say, the 19th century. Um, and, and you have to be very, very careful that even in your own life, uh, predestination's true, but it does, it's not something you can use, uh, as an excuse for your, for your own, for laziness or saying, well, I don't, I don't need to go to church. I mean, it's kind of boring anyway, isn't it? I mean, no, I mean, uh, we go and we take the sacraments and serve the Lord. So hopefully that answers. Um, turn to 1 John 2 2. Another. Notice I'm suggesting you that there are problem verses. Okay? No one's denying that. Because that's the job that. Uh, God gives to the church. So 1 John 2.2 He himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. So there obviously John says the whole world. Uh, Now, who is the whole world? Is it everybody? Seemingly the text suggests that. Well, how's Bill going to get out of that one? I mean, I'm really not going to get out of anything. Uh, um, You you have to recognize something I've been sharing uh, for the last couple weeks. It was radical. It was a radical notion for the first century church that was largely Jewish to understand that the coming of the Spirit was the end time great event that was opening the door to the Gentiles. They were still caught up in a a measure of ethnicity. Um, And, and, you know, we understand that. We get sometimes caught up in things like that. Um, uh, And if you you think back in the book of Acts, how the first century Jewish Christians struggled with Gentiles coming to faith, uh, the apostles had to say, you know, Peter says that. 
He says, who am I to deny? If God wants to save Gentiles, he can save Gentiles. Okay. So there's a massive turning because Israel, ethnic Israel, rejected Christ. There's a turning to the nations. And the Old Testament prophesies that. Prophesies Gentiles coming to faith. I mean, it's, I mean, that's the point of my illustration. If if this was a church in the Deep South in the 1950s, and I said something to the effect that God saves black people, people in the church might get kind of upset. You know, well, I mean, there's nowhere in the scriptures that says God can't save black people. In fact, he saves men from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. How can you be so proud and vain as to say God can't save anyone? Who do you think you are? Uh, and, and that's the kind of preaching they should have heard. But people, you have to guard your heart against pride and vanity and uh, you know, realize that uh, God saves all men without distinction. Rich, poor, slave, free, Jew, Gentile, men, women, you know, so on and so forth. Uh, now, does he save everybody? I don't believe so. So, how do we handle the whole world? Okay. Well, again, you understand what I've just said. I'm taking that to, to include Jews and Gentiles. But notice, notice verse two, propitiation for our sins. Okay. When we studied the nature of the atonement, we said propitiation was satisfaction. Christ satisfied the wrath of God. So if he satisfied the wrath of God, then everybody's going to be saved. No, the Bible doesn't teach that. Okay, so we have to limit our concept of whole world based upon propitiation. Okay, Unless we're universalists. And a lot of people are. One of the precepts of modern day liberalism is that everybody's going to heaven. And we just we and, and the job of the church is just to remind people of that. <laughs> so, you know, but and 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 so they don't approach the scriptures or evangelism like we do. Okay. Uh, so, if there is actual satisfaction of wrath, uh, and everyone is not saved, then we have to limit the concept of world. Okay, so there's there's one limiting factor. The other limiting factor is um, the context of the gravity of sin and the perpetuity of the atonement that endures for 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 recurring sin. Now that's a mouthful. So let's look at verse one. Uh, My children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. But we sin, don't we? So, are we lost when we sin? Have we just, well, we've just lost it all? Have to be saved all over again? No, every, everyone in this room knows they continue to sin. Okay. So, what's, what is our help for our continuing sin? Well, John tells us we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So, for our continuing sin in our lives, we have an advocate. What's an advocate? An attorney. What's an attorney? Goes before a judge and says, Judge, I paid for that person. They're okay. 
I, I paid the debt of that sin. And the father says, yes, and I accepted your payment. So the, the concept of world is limited. Not only by the nature of the atonement propitiation, but by the advocacy of Christ. Because Christ is not the advocate of everyone in the whole world. If he was, everyone in the whole world would be saved. But everyone in the whole world is not going to be saved. So it's limited by his advocacy. Does everyone see the logic of that? Mary, you okay with that? Still struggling with it? I mean, it's difficult. I mean, I understood. I, I grew up in Armenian churches most of my life. I was, Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, and it's not only a roller coaster, I think that's a good metaphor, but it's also a struggle because uh, if you've been brought up in churches where you're taught one thing, it's very difficult to shift gears. Uh, and the older you get, the harder that is to do. Because we, well, I believe this all my life. How can I, how can I uh, go from fourth to reverse, start over again? Uh, but that is, again, understand something that's very, very critical. As you know, I believe we're in the end times. Okay? Christ inaugurates the end times. We're in the last days. One of the elements of the last days is massive deception. Where? In a bar? In a house of ill repute? No, in the church. Because that's what Satan does. Let me remind you, in the Garden of Eden, the first, if you will, prototype of the church, the Garden of Eden, which was a sanctuary where Adam and Eve worshipped God, the serpent comes into the Garden of Eden. He comes into the sanctuary and he deceives Adam and Eve. That archetypical event has been occurring throughout all of history. It's intensified now because we're living in the last days and Christ has inaugurated them. So we should expect there to be massive dilution of the gospel, okay, uh, and massive deception, sad to say, even in churches. So uh, ignorance is an enemy of, of, of Christians. So you know, I don't know if that helped you or not, but you just have to struggle through the issue here that um, um, propitiation does not mean 
um, anything less than Christ actually satisfied the wrath of God. Okay. Does it again redeem redemption, which is a concept of purchase, where Christ comes in and purchases his sons and daughters, does not mean redeemability. That really, uh, to me, uh, is an offense to what Christ did upon the cross. So, um, just you have to struggle through those things. I, I, I wish it. I wish it was easy, but, but let's, uh, you know, let, let me remind you of, of some critical things. Let's just turn. Maybe this will help you. Uh, turn, turn in the scriptures to John chapter six. Kind of doing some quick review here, but it's okay. We need to sometimes do that. Uh, John chapter six. I want you to keep these concepts in mind that I've been talking about. Um, John chapter six. I'm going to read verses 38 to 39. Well, if I can ever get to the Gospel of John. Okay. Um, Well, let's just start with verse 37. All that the Father gives me, notice the transaction there. Uh, The Father doesn't give Christ everyone. All that he has given me shall come to me. And the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down uh, from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. Now notice the transaction. All that he has given me, Christ says, I I lose none of them, but we'll raise him up on the last day. Okay, so think of the Armenian church. Well, um, does Christ, does God the Father give everybody the Son? Well, I I don't know how they can answer that. They they have to say, well, well, no, but, but, uh, what about our free will? Well, I mean, I, I believe man has a will. I don't, if you understand sin and the corruption, and the guilt of sin from the Garden of Eden, I would I don't know that he has a free will. Um, he certainly has a free will to watch Channel 9 or watch the Cowboys play or someone else. He certainly has a free will to buy either a hamburger or a hot dog. But free will to choose Christ? Well, I don't think so. Because they're born dead in sin. Ephesians chapter 2.1. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, yeah, they're free to sin. I, I will to sin, you know. Um, but but you have to work through those concepts and you have to understand here that this transaction is, is incredibly radical and should inform understanding of the majesty of redemption. The Father gives to the Son and the Son purchases them, redeems them, satisfies the wrath of God against them, and then um, uh, promises they will raise him up on the last day. What about my will? Well, he dispatches his spirit to give us a new birth who makes our will alive, to makes our will willing in the day of his power. That's where will fits in. Okay. Nothing in here is Christ saying, 
look, I did this for you, and I hope in your free will you can make it happen. No, he makes it happen. And then he goes to the Spirit and says, Spirit, you make it happen, and you give them the new birth. Is our will in there? Yeah. Because the moment we're born, we cry out, Abba, Father. Just like if you're a mother and you've given birth to a child. You're the cause of that child's birth. And the moment that child is born, at some point, it gasps for air and cries out, showing that it's alive. Okay. That's, what, I mean, that's a new birth. Um, um, I mean, that's John chapter 3. Uh, and there's no question that John chapter 3 is relying on the great promises of uh, Ezekiel 36 and 37. I will put my spirit within him. I will raise them up. I will give them new life based on the promises of God, not will. So when I share the gospel, I don't say, Barb, if you can just make your will willing to come to Jesus, you can make it happen. Barb, won't you, won't you will to be born again? You must be born again. That's something that happens to you. Uh, now, I can tell you, Barb, believe, hope, come to Christ. But I know full well that those are products of the work of the Spirit. So, I mean, hopefully that's helpful, but I mean, but I mean, you, you certainly see that there. Um, let's look at John chapter 10, verse 15. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Okay? Are there goats in this world? Does he lay down his life for goats? That's not what he says. He lays down his life for the sheep. Okay? I lay down my life for the sheep. Well, we know there's goats. He doesn't die for the goats. He lays down his life for his sheep. Okay? I'm sorry? Well, I mean, that's a great question, uh, Mary. Um, uh, in, in, in the drama of redemption, we know, for example, we, when we've been studying uh, the book of Genesis, we know that there's a definite line of the sons of promise. We know in the process of that line, there are sons that are born that are not sons of promise. Okay? Um, Esau, Ishmael. Okay? Why are they born? Well, I don't know. That's God's business. But God blesses them in common grace. Um, uh, in, in our case today, I trace the sons of promise spiritually. Okay? Uh, because those are the true sons of Abraham. Uh, and they come to faith. Uh, why is there an Ishmael or an Esau today? Um, I don't know. That's above my pay grade. I just know I'm to share the gospel and to uh, tell men that they need to believe upon Christ. So that's kind of one of those questions, Mary, that you know is really beyond my, you know, why are there, uh, why are there sons not of the promise? I just know that there are sons that are not of the promise. Um, you know, that's uh, but. But 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 look, if you will, uh, Mary, 
uh, at verse 26. If you want to, let's do, let's really make this much more difficult. So he lays down his life for the sheep. Now look what he's going to tell the Pharisees and Sadducees. You do not believe because you're not of my sheep. Wow. You catch the logic there? You guys aren't believing in me because I didn't lay down my life for you. Ooh, that's painful. That's exactly what he's telling them. Well, yeah, because they want to stone him. They didn't like that at all. They thought, no, we're, we're the sons of Abraham ethnically and physically. It was never ethnically and physically. It was always spiritually. So, um, so yeah, Mary, that's a difficult question, but just ponder that text. You do not believe in me because you're not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and shall never perish. Yeah. It destroys universal. It also destroys Arminianism. Arminianism says, I have a free will. I can come to Christ and He's going to save me. And then, because He didn't save me good enough, I can fall away again and need the Gospel all over. What does that do to texts like, and I'll raise Him up on the last day? What did really Christ do on the cross? Did He only create the possibility of salvation? Or did he save? I believe he saved. Okay, I, I don't believe Christ deals in the concept of possibility. God doesn't deal in possibility. You and I deal in possibility. I get up on Sunday morning, drive to church with the possibility I won't be in a wreck and I'll get here on time. And everyone won't be saying, oh, where's Bowerside? Well, he's asleep at home. No, God doesn't deal in language like that. I deal in possibility, not God doesn't. Because he's... he's He's the creator. He's in control of all things. Good, good, good question. Yeah. Well, and, and the answer is yes. And we're going to get there. Okay, we're going to get there. Remember, remember the title of the book, Redemption Accomplished and Applied. Spirit's going to apply it. He's going to make it happen. Christ doesn't die and send his spirit to keep us in ignorance. And that's one of the reasons we're going through this class. Oh sure, yeah, we're, yeah, we're, we are, uh, you know, that's right. Keep in mind, I've been saying this in the book of Genesis. It's certainly true. Um, um, Christ doesn't die for the perfect, and He doesn't make us perfect even in this life. Perfection is reserved for when He comes to glorify us. So we're still sinners. 
Yeah, it's exactly right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, this day you'll be with me in paradise. He didn't understand the full gamut. Uh, so I don't, I don't go, I don't throw rocks at the Armenians. I don't throw rocks at people that really don't understand fully. Uh, you know, I mean, I get that. My charge is to help my people to understand as fully as I possibly can. Because I think it strengthens you in the faith. I think it encourages you in the faith. It gives you a better understanding of the gospel and is an enabling power to you to share the gospel properly. Very difficult. This is difficult stuff. I mean, I, I'm not dealing with, you know, Jesus loves me, this I know, or the Bible tells me. So this is very difficult theology. I, I, I grant you that. Um, I just think it's important that we have a, a measure of understanding. And we never fully understand the mysteries of salvation. Uh, but I think it's very, very helpful to the worship of God and to the enlargements of our hearts and minds to love him if we fully understand what he did for us. And that we didn't save ourselves. He saved us. Well, I mean, it's a very difficult doctrine, but again, I mean, let me just remind you, go back, get your Bible out, and look at Romans chapter 9. Okay, and we're not going to do it now. I'll try to get through some of these difficult passages. Um, uh, we read in Romans chapter 9, God has mercy on those whom he has mercy in whom he hardens, he hardens. Okay? Does he do it justly? Well, absolutely. Whatever God does, he does justly. He hardens people because they rejected him. But that doesn't mean he can't save those whom he wills to save. He can be kind and gracious to one and harden the other because he's just in everything that he does. The person deserves hardening. Did Pharaoh deserve hardening? Absolutely. And God hardened him. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will harden those whom I heard. Jacob I loved and Esau I rejected. Everyone is under condemnation and you know, we share the gospel but we can't save him but he, he brings whom he wills to bring okay? because of the transaction of John chapter 6. So uh, 
I would, I would garner to say this theology most of you never heard in your earlier churches. Why is that? Yeah, it's offensive, it's hard, and it'll drive people away. That ain't my job. Pardon me to using ain't. That's not my job. My job is to not go from Romans 8 to Romans 12. My job is to teach through 9, 10, and 11. 9, 10, 11 has very, very difficult theology. Paul wrote that for the church. If you're a member of the church, you ought to understand and grapple through that. Okay, Very difficult theology, but it's there nonetheless. I can't gloss over it and say, uh, stop up your ears, I'm going to read this text. And it's not just Romans. I mean, it's, it's everywhere. Uh, scriptures. Uh, let's very quickly uh, turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 17. Uh, just to throw another wrench in the concept of word world. So I'm in John chapter 17, verse 9. Um, so this is our Lord's high priestly prayer. He's going to the cross. He's the high priest. I did not ask on their behalf. Pardon me. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world. Anybody see a problem with that? What? The Lord's not praying for everybody that's ever been born? Why isn't he? What kind of priest is that? That's not my job to define his priesthood. Okay? He's, he's asking on behalf of his people. If he prayed for everybody, everybody would be saved because the Father's always going to answer the prayers of the Son. Make no mistake about that. He doesn't answer all my prayers the way I want them to be answered, but he does, he does to the Son of God because of the perfect unity of the Trinity. Okay. Doesn't pray on behalf of the world? So, um, turn to Ephesians 5. It just Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as also Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. Well, He loved His church. So there's verb and definite object. He loved His church. Wait a minute. I thought He loved everybody in the world. Now Paul's saying He loved His church. Um, look at verse 29. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just Christ also does for the church. Okay. Um, so, I'm just saying you have to struggle over these concepts of predestination. Uh, reread Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, we'll review some of that next time when we look at union with Christ. Uh, struggle over those issues. Um, and and remember something's very important. You don't have to accept my theology. I'm just telling you what it is. I'm not saying you have to believe just like I believe. Uh, uh, that was part of uh, my introduction to the class. I'm just being honest with you and telling you what I believe. But what you have to do is to bend what you believe to the Scriptures. 
Yeah. So, you know, you can say, well, I don't, I don't like what Bowersock says. I don't have a problem with that at all. But you better be very careful about saying, God, I don't like it that you rejected Esau. And by the way, God, you treated Ishmael very unfairly. And you owe everybody fairness. God doesn't deal in those kind of terms. We do because we're so dead gum lost. Or the world does. So you have to, you have to really question what you believe, what you were brought up to believe in the church, and say, well, how do I deal with these texts? Um, and you have to struggle with it. My struggle is ongoing, and here's how I define my struggle. And I'm going to end with this just as a metaphor because I've gone over. These are very difficult verses, and if you're struggling with them, do what you do when you cook. Sometimes you put things on the stove, it simmer, and you just let them simmer. You can't figure it out. You say, Lord, help me to understand these texts. They're your, it's your word, Lord, not mine. Sometimes you put the oven on a very low setting and you cook something, particularly a lower quality piece of meat, for a long, long, long period of time to let it tenderize. Well, nothing about the Scripture is low quality, but sometimes our minds are pretty low quality and they just need to cook for a long, long period of time. So just struggle with it. Give it time. Yeah. And uh, um, it's going to intensify as we keep reading through through, uh, through Murray. So, but to me, it's the fun journey. We learn about, wow, God did that for me? Yeah, I want you to understand that. Because the more you understand the wowness of your salvation, the more you're going to give your heart, soul, and mind to serve and love Him. That's my objective. Anyway, let's close on a word of prayer because I've, I've gone over. Uh, our Father, help us to understand difficult things. And help us to deal with our past teaching, things that we've received and believed, and help us to um, compare all things to the majesty of the Word of God found in Scripture that we might grow in grace and be thy good servants, fitted out for every good work, and our workmen that need not to be ashamed that rightly divide the word of truth. And these things, Lord, give us the help of thy spirit. We might uh, fulfill such in our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.